imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Lead Hership Global. We are so glad that all of you have tuned into the program today, where I got to tell you, we have an extra special guest. We have with us Sally Anderson. Sally is a leadership coach, a facilitator, a keynote speaker, an author, a master coach trainer. She's amazing. And today we have the privilege and honor of speaking with Sally about how to leverage your co-creative ability. You know, as a leader, you have responsibility for so many people and accountability of their performance. So the concept of letting go isn't very common in traditional leadership teaching. But as you'll hear from our guest today, your ability to evolve as a leader is directly proportional to your willingness to be out of control and to actually trust the unknown realm. As Sally Anderson will explain, in the co-creative realm, you're able to experience moments of flow, moments of being in the zone. But to do that, you have to be willing to give up control. In the co-creative state, you actually experience a high level of engagement and clarity, which transcends your current human thinking. You know, most leaders have moments of intuitive insight, but they don't know how to live intuitively. And co-creation means tapping into that collective consciousness of the universe and working in tandem with it to create new and novel possibilities. In the co-creative state, you can experience a higher level of engagement, enjoy oneness of being, and actually transcend limited human thinking. So who you are in your co-creative form is absolutely limitless. So today we're going to talk to Sally Anderson. She is a world-renowned leadership coach, a leadership advanced facilitator, inspirational keynote speaker, author, and master coach trainer about how to live in the zone by learning the art of co-creative leadership. But before we get started, let me tell you just a little bit about Sally. I will tell you that personally, I have had the privilege and honor of meeting Sally in just the last few months, but she is absolutely one of the most dynamic powerhouse leaders I've ever ever met. She has become one of the women that I hold in highest regard and that honestly, I am most inspired by. She is at the forefront of sustainable human and organizational transformation. She is not only an author, a master coach, trainer, a leadership coach, a leadership advanced facilitator. She actually comes from the corporate world where she was in leadership for over 20 years with lessons that she's garnered throughout her amazing and unique life story to help others achieve sustainable transformation for both professional and personal success. 
Sally has privately coached key influencers nationally and internationally for over 20 years. This is CEOs, politicians, global influencers, visionaries, celebrities, billionaires, and everyone who's looking for sustainable leading edge performance. Sally has a long history of supporting organizational cultural, and individual change all across the globe. And she's formulated a unique delivery and content system of evolved curriculum, which has spent 14 years refining its teachings. Sally's unique personal experiences, traumatic history, and eventual mastery as a transformational coach provide a rare combination of talents. This laid the foundation for a vocation of helping others achieve a similar transcendence. And as a result, Sally has a very sound knowledge base for her philosophy, her teachings, and their application in both the personal and professional realm. Sally, what an honor to have you on the program today. Thank you so much. (laughs) There's one hell of an introduction. It's an absolute privilege to be on the show today. I got to tell you, it's our privilege and honor. So thank you so much for joining us, Sally. So let's start by learning a little bit about you and about your journey moving from corporate into this role as a coach and as a sustainable transformation expert. What led you to have such passion around helping high-performing executive leaders around the world? Well, the power of storytelling. (laughs) Um, I was in uh, New York on September the 10th, and I was accountable for uh, a global restructure program across uh, uh, Boston, Netherlands, and uh, New York. Uh, 3,000 projects at the height of the assignment, uh, literally pig in shit. Um, Send me into any any, uh, situation um, of a large magnitude, uh, and I'll sort it out. I, I used to find that easy. But millions of dollars would be spent on these change programs that I would implement And I knew from the start that they would never get a return on their investment three to five years after I walked out the door. So it became an indictment on my value system. Um, Excuse the expression. I felt like a prostitute in the system as a consultant. The money that is spent on coaches, on consultants, on trainings, on off-the-shelf cultural change initiatives for very questionable ROI back into the business. So I became quite fascinated about this elusive thing called sustainability. Our offices were five blocks from ground zero. And I'd had a very lousy coffee in the base of the Trade Center Towers, and I took a flight to Boston uh, on the 10th. But I was uh, meaning to actually do that on the 11th, but intuitively I decided to um, leave a day earlier. So being in America when September 11th hit was really my wake-up call. Uh, And it wasn't part of my plan to develop my own education, uh, but I was passionate because you were the consultant that was in the culture Different when you're a consultant outside the environment, but when you're in the culture of the organization, you care. So I was always viewed as uh, being very controversial uh, in corporate. Why? Because I questioned. Uh, I didn't think that I was controversial. I just cared. I cared about the culture. And post-implementation is very rare within large implementations to even focus on because it requires additional revenue. So the the consultancy company is all good. They've been paid their millions. Uh, And there's no real accountability for whether this is a sustainable solution. I'd also been a course junkie for 30 years, named a book, a CD, a course. I'd read it, listened to it, went to it, struggled to sustain the change. So it was a fascination both personally and professionally. And as I said, you know, being in America, uh, all airports shut down. Um, 
there was no terrorism clauses in our contracts. Uh, it was a real time of uh, reassessing and re-looking at, I loved what I did. Uh, cultural change was my thing. Uh, highly trained in program, uh, portfolio and project directorship, bringing a projectized culture into organizations. Uh, I can deal with macro and I can deal with micro, uh, dotting I's, crossing T's. When you've got 3,000 projects, you've got a lot of stuff going on. But things like, you know, shutting down multi-million dollar um, uh, projects that are hemorrhaging the business, but nobody's making a decision. So you were never popular as a change consultant because, you know, um, thousands of redundancies, but somebody had to make a decision. <clears throat> uh, so I've been in boardrooms since I was 23. I've been slaughtered by the best of them. And uh, I have always been in very uh, male-dominated environments. Uh, but that was a great apprenticeship uh, for what I then embarked on. So I returned to New Zealand and I decided to uh, create my own education, uh, which pretty much has spanned the last 20 years. So I frame the education as co-creative leadership or equanimous leadership. Who you are in your human form is limited and who you are in your co-creative form is limitless. The word co-creation is the word that I use within the corporate context, because the minute that you mention the word face, uh, specifically in corporate, and because I uh, target the high insect, the fish stinks from the head down, no disrespect, a lot of little boys, little girls running businesses, um, it's uh, faith is the most important um, focus point, I believe, uh, with reference to leadership, and it's not spoken often enough. Uh, you mentioned the word faith, and if people have an aversion to whatever their interpretation of faith is, they immediately cancel it out. And so the two most primary um, focus points for me is love and faith. Uh, the synonymous thing in every single organization on the planet is that it has human beings in it, novel concept. And the two most primary emotions for a human being is faith and love. So why on earth do we globally not have faith and love at the highest level of leadership within the executive forums? Why do we not talk about it? Um, so in the context of faith, uh, we were born connected. We were born fearless and we were born intuitive. That was our birthright. So uh, pretty much from about the age of three to five, we adopt certain beliefs and values uh, from our environment, our teachers, our siblings, our environment. That then forms our behaviours. Uh, that then forms the structure. Uh, in a house, there's a foundational structure. Within each individual human being, there is a foundational structure from which to operate. That then forms the culture, who you marry, where you live, how you view life, and then that produces the results. There's far too much a linear focus on producing results from the outer two layers. I want to dictate the cultural change in this organization, expect the results to show up. I want to lose weight, expect the results to show up. To have any level of sustainable change, which is where I focus, one needs to go back to the origins, which always happens in childhood. So the irony, when I go and talk to a CEO, they say, Sally, why when I've come to see you about my business, are you talking to me about my childhood? A, I have zero interest in dragging up your past. However, there's not a human being on the planet that is devoid of healing that there isn't something that has happened that hasn't impacted them. And that is impacting their potential as a leader. And it's not focused on what would it be like if we had healing in every single executive environment on this planet? Healing isn't understood. Healing is a word uh, that is for the broken. Uh, but <laughs> I led my own retreats for 10, 10 months of the year for 10 years. And the biggest thing that I learned out of facilitating those retreats, people who experience next to nothing were more dysfunctional than those that were warranted to. So it's never about the happening, it's what you do with the happening. 
And for those that think I had a great childhood, nobody's devoid of going through that developmental stage and reaching adulthood without some dynamics going on. And it's very rare that you see leaders doing the non-linear work, doing the inner work. Um, There's an arrogance. Uh, I'm in control. Um, Can you kind of like come in and fix my people? But you don't have to look look at me or us, you know, at that most senior level. The irony of COVID, um, although there's a viral pandemic going on, there's actually a fear pandemic going on. We live in a very disassociated society. COVID has actually forced association. Uh, That being said, people who didn't have to look before are now having to look, specifically at that highest level. They're used to being in control. And so now they're in a, a terrain of navigating uncertainty, and that is a very foreign territory. So I'm going yummy, 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 because in the co-creative space, it's all about uncertainty. The magic, the miracles lie in the unknown realm. So spirituality for me is about trusting the unknown as much as the known, regardless of what you call it. So having coached everybody from every spiritual sect, religious sect, uh, atheist sect, um, I respect what each individual believes, um, but you cannot reach your potential Um, This is the unfathomable results piece, unless you tap into your co-creative ability. And I believe COVID, for all of the things that it's impacting the planet, the great thing about COVID is that it's absolutely transcending the landscape of leadership. Traditional leadership in the linear realm, the hard skills is dead. Um, So the non-linear, the so-called soft skills, feminine leadership skills, which is humorous um, because they're far from soft, um, the human skills are now so prominent What I find fascinating, though, these concepts like compassion, empathy, they're not new concepts, you know, but they are now being embraced. And there's more of this human element bringing in uh, being brought into this forum. So that was pretty much where my fascination around sustainability. You look at psychotherapy, that is a long process and quite a deep process. And there's a time for that. You look at counselling, the dysfunctional aspect of counselling. I've got an issue with somebody who's seen a counsellor for two, five or ten years still dragging out their story, paying for the privilege. That is a a long process and quite a shallow process. The rah-rah seminars, you get that short shot of euphoria, feel great for a while and back into same old, same old. They're designed for you to keep going back. That's a short process and a shallow process. So where I position my education, which is a global first Nobody globally is focusing on the sustainability element of personal and or professional transformation. It is a deep process, but a short process. People want results. If you're going to invest money into change, let's make sure it's sustainable. So in the context of what drives me to do this, I was brought up in New Zealand, one of the most amazing places on the planet, but biased. Uh, My father was a guidance counselor in the schooling system. I am my father's daughter. Uh, he would have street kids in our house since I can never remember. Um, he would uh, pull out his cardboard and he would sort people's lives out. Uh, so I learned from an early age um, my uh, passion for um, making a difference for other people. Uh, my passion for skiing, I got my first job hiring out skis at a local ski resort. I learned to ski on Whistler Mountain. Um, I mean, although I was born in New Zealand, we went to Canada for four years, came back when I was six. So only redhead in the family. Didn't look the same, sound the same, think the same. Had this kind of like Kiwi come Canadian accent. And so my self-hatred started at quite a young age because I didn't fit and being different wasn't cool. Having your dad at school also wasn't cool. Great dad, but it was a bit different. Anyway, cut a very long story short. Um, In the early 80s, a lot of kids used to hitchhike, hitchhiked into a local township, and I, uh, my girlfriend and I decided to shop till we dropped with our first pay packet. 
Uh, for your listeners today, can you remember when you got your first pay packet and you spent the money on what you wanted to spend it on with your, without your parents' influence? And it was a bit rebellious. We decided to go into a local uh, bar, and I was only 15, and I looked a lot older than what I was. And what we didn't realise is that we, when we walked into the public bar, we were being uh, cased out by a notorious gang here in New Zealand. Um, <clears throat> I, my bag went missing. My girlfriend went missing. I walked outside of the public bar. I was thrown into a car with eight gang members and uh, they started um, attacking me uh, in the car and drove me uh, around to the local hangout. I was thrown onto a butcher's block, pretty much like a sheep carcass, and raped from every orifice um, by more than 100 uh, gang members. Nobody survives an experience like that, uh, but I did. And I had to separate um, myself from what was being done to my body. And uh, the degree of abuse that I received orally uh, damaged my vocal cords. So the, the irony of being a keynote speaker, <clears throat> public speaking was my biggest fear because I was terrified of people. And um, I, I joined um, Toastmasters. And my first Toastmasters experience was getting a standing ovation because I, I stood up. That's how terrified I was of public speaking to then command a, a keynote speaking career of 30 years uh, to some of the most extraordinary audiences around the world because it's about intimacy, into me you see, and I wasn't ready to be seen. I was then thrown onto the back of a truck, uh, three in the back, two in the front, rapes continued, they abducted me and took me to another location, rapes continued until I lost consciousness. I was found by the head of the gang um, in that particular location and then I, ironically if it wasn't for that um, gang member uh, I wouldn't be alive today he drove me back to where I was staying dropped me on the side of the road and in the early 80s there was uh, a lack of support for victims and so the way that I was treated was horrendous even though my father was a guidance counsellor um, what do you say to your 15 year old daughter uh, they didn't know how to deal with it so go back to school act like it didn't happen uh, so there was no support it was one of the worst reported gang rapes in the history of New Zealand in the early 80s. Um, two other women who experienced a similar experience, one committed suicide and the other ended up in an asylum. I'm very clear that I shouldn't be here or I should be a statistic in the system. Uh, the fact that I'm not, uh, which um, moots to the title of today's podcast, is that you're never given anything that you can't handle. And that can land like a cup of cold sick for some people, uh, depending on what it is that they've experienced. Uh, that being said, I lived into uh, 20 years of being a course junkie. I didn't go to a course to get motivated. I went to a course to work out how to get to the next day. I didn't have to go to university to learn human psychosis because I pretty much uh, lived it. Name and addiction, uh, elephant syndrome, um, body dysmorphia, uh, every single addiction known to man, um, psychotic and uh, critic behaviour. Um, I entered the boardroom at 23, uh, so that was really my structure. Um, but who I was behind the scenes was very different. And the irony, uh, that whole apprenticeship was in perfection for what I do today because there's not many people that I sit in front of where I don't have an integral understanding of the dysfunction at an integral level. So I've done a lot of forums in front of psychiatrists and counsellors about what they do versus what I do. I'm a fearless practitioner. I'll go to places other coaches won't go to get results other coaches won't get. Because when you've died and come back of your own accord, you kind of like learn a few things. When you've gone beyond the comprehension of human terror and pretty much have spent the last um, well, majority of my life um, healing people, um, I basically stop people hurting permanently. Uh, so that's part of my passion. Everything was in perfection for what I do today. Uh, and it is a profound privilege to stop people hurting permanently. 
and be able to administer an education curriculum that addresses in a non-drug related way, sustainable transformation to pretty much any mental health issue that the planet has. Wow. I didn't realize we were going to go that deep, that quick. Um, And I will say, Sally, I've been honored and privileged to have heard your story privately in other forums and had not planned on necessarily going there. But again, it just speaks volumes to the kind of fearlessness with which you live life and the kind of authenticity that you display at all times, no matter what. It's just, it's striking, it's humbling, and it's incredibly inspiring. Now, I want to go back to something that you said early, though, that really hits me. Um, You said that, of course, to be able to evolve as a leader means to be able to let go, let go of this idea of being in control. And that certainly is antithetical to a lot of the leadership training that, you know, many of us have heard for decades. And it also is met with a lot of resistance, right? This whole idea of letting go, it's immediately met with defensiveness and resistance. Can you talk a little bit about where that comes from and what you've done to sort of Hmm. break that down? So I like using analogies uh, and the analogy I'll use, uh, first of all, would be the three-legged stool analogy. So the first leg of the stool is the traditional uh, linear uh, hard skills. That leg of the stool is so solid and most leaders are unconsciously competent in that leg of the stool. Unconscious competency, um, you're 15, you get in the car, it's a little bit clunky, you get in your car now, you don't even think about it. The journey from unconscious incompetency to unconscious competency. So that leg of the stool is very, very solid. And most leaders yawn at the prospect of yet another leadership retreat, yawn at the prospect of yet another leadership development program. Um, So that's very solid. Second leg of the stool would be subject matter expertise. Most leaders are a specialist in either um, one particular area or a cross-section of areas. Uh, So subject matter expertise is solid. They've done the years in the trenches. Uh, They're unconsciously competent in that leg. So that leg is very solid. Third leg of the stool, uh, which pre-COVID I was banging the tambourine on, uh, is the linear um, belief, behavioral, uh, cultural change piece, cultural changes in who you are as a human being. Um, And that would be kind of like it was a bit woo-woo when we've got the budget, when we've got the time, if ever, which is hardly ever. Um, Nice to have for the staff if they need it. Um, So it really wasn't taken seriously. So that's the weakest leg of the stool, but that's the most important leg of the stool where sustainability is concerned, and that's where I have my edge. When you think about all the leadership service providers, leadership coaches in the world, the key point of difference is in specializing in the sustainability element of personal professional transformation. So that leg of the stool is the weakest. Now, post-COVID, when leaders are used to being in control, they're thrown into uncertainty and they are surviving versus thriving. This, I didn't design it. Every human being is a makeup, as I said before, of their childhood. If you haven't done the healing, everything will surface. So if you can imagine a leader who's used to being, and these are at the highest levels, you know, politicians and so forth. Um, at the end of the day, they are human. And we have superhuman expectations on those leaders. So I specialize at the highest level. Uh, and my passion for that, billionaires, I believe billionaires need to have a, a conscience around where money is distributed. Politicians, they need to stop begging the opposition and start educating uh, the public on their policies. 
uh, to be able to elevate people's understanding of, um, you know, um, the benefit to them. Uh, High-level leaders and global influencers, given what's happening on the planet, there is a sense of urgency to have those at the highest level be very stable and be able to sustain because if they fall over, we've got got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Um, But we're not focusing on anything to do with mental health at that level. So when you think about uncertainty or the unknown or letting go, they are foreign concepts being forced now to be looked at in the entire leadership landscape as we know it, which I think is about evolving leadership consciousness, which is also something that I specialize in. Um, the whole Maslow's theory about self-actualization. Uh, self-actualization will not occur unless you do the inner work. And there really hasn't been a self-interest by those at the highest level to really have to go and do the inner work because they've always been used to being in control. So in the context of mental health, (laughs) it's hard enough to be able to get an organization's head around the importance of dealing with mental health, more so now more than ever, within the workforce. Um, It's kind of like a compliance issue. It's something that I've got to deal with now, you know, because everything's so linear, the bottom line and KPIs and, yeah. Um, But we never talk about mental health at the highest level. And working from home, um, kids, uh, pets, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a completely foreign environment for leaders at that level to have to be able to deal with, let alone retrenchments, let alone stakeholder expectations, let alone unprecedented demands. No human being can sustain that type of environment. And my concern is I don't hear many people talking about addressing the stigmatization that exists at the highest level of leadership. Nor do I hear many leaders talking about the nonlinear spectrum of leadership. So I said earlier, we were born connected, born fearless and born intuitive. That was our birthright. So part of what I partner leaders to do is actually reaccess their birthright. It's not a foreign concept. We were actually born into that. And for those that are listening today, if you've got children, um, babies, for example, they live in the being state. Um, they don't really want for anything. Um, and if they do, they'll just cry and they'll get the, the needs um, met. Um, so I talk about the being the state of leadership versus doing leadership. Who, you know, in the context of, I gave up being a human being a long time ago. And for some people, that sounds a bit weird. But the human realm is limited. The co-creative realm is limitless. And part of what I'm embarking on is the ability, A, to get my education in the hands of those that can make a difference uh, because uh, I'm a threat to the pharmaceutical companies uh, because I've found a non-drug-related solution to most of the mental health issues that we have on the planet. Um, So navigating the unknown, it's not embraced to be out of control. Uh, There's always two contexts to everything. Being out of control, do Delhi, that's disempowered, out of control. Being out of control from an empowered standpoint should be what you go looking for. Go look to be confronted. Go look to be uh, resistant. Go look to be um, uncomfortability, resistance, and confrontation are the three cornerstones to unrecognizable transformation. Most people don't experience transformation, let alone unrecognizable transformation, which segues nicely into this whole thing around the default identity. Every single human being on the planet has what I term a default identity. In my education, I call it your default blueprint. There's about seven different layers unique to each individual because we've all had different upbringings. There is a lack of awareness-based training 
in leadership and there's a lack of awareness-based training in the education system. Uh, we still teach the same things in our schooling system. We're still killing each other. You know, we're supposed to be one of the most evolved races on the planet. Um, and yet, you know, there's not a fascination behind uh, what it's going to take to actually evolve beyond what's always been. And a lot of that has to do with we have to change what's being uh, taught in our education sector. Something as simple as a mastery of the inner critic. Every human being on the planet has an inner critic. Nobody's talking about it, yet it annihilates human potential. Just educating people, and uh, if that was adopted in the schooling system, just that alone, it would change the human psyche as we know it. In the two books that I wrote, Free Fall Living Life Beyond the Edge, which is the personal development book, and The Co-Creative Age, The Next Evolutionary Phase in Leadership, I speak about culturalization. In our current level of awareness and our current level of consciousness, we um, only evolve through adversity. I believe that I've experienced more adversity than most to be able to evolve consciousness on the planet by teaching that there is another way. There is another way to evolve without having to manifest and create adversity. And But for that to occur, I have no academic training. I've just had a hell of a lot of life experiences. I'm wanting to change the face of counselling and psychotherapy. Um, for me, one of the no-nos is that you're not allowed to share anything of a personal nature in counselling and psychotherapy. I'm the complete opposite. If you want to shift somebody out of where they're operating, you need to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. You need to bring yourself to the equation. You need to go beyond your own fear as a practitioner and uh, go beyond those paradigms. But if you haven't actually had those experiences because you can't study it, um, you can't um, fundamentally shift that paradigm. You look at uh, acronym-oriented diagnoses, PTSD, ADHD, everything that endorses drug-taking. I'm not undermining people's reality around depression, but I don't believe in depression as a chapter in one of my books. Um, all of human suffering is a function of what we make things mean. What would it be like if you never suffered ever again? What would it be like if you became fascinated by the unknown? What would it be like if you understood how to get into the vortex, how to get into the slipstream, how to, instead of having moments of being in the zone, how do you live in the zone? Most people will have an automatic default listening of that even being possible. Uh, because evidence-based people are waiting for evidence to show up before they trust versus trust and possibility-based pe people know that if they trust, um, the reward is evidence. Uh, so being able to uh, partner uh, leaders on how to get fascinated about confrontation, resistance, and uncomfortability, um, because the first thing that happens when you become committed is that resistance will show up. And being a change agent, obviously, it's navigating that resistance. And the irony of what people do not know how to deal with fear. Fear is only but a function of being disconnected, feeding past and or future-based projections or both. That's all that's going on. So I don't believe in feel the fear and do it anyway, because that gives impetus that fear exists. Fear cannot exist. It's but a barometer of your disconnection from your faith, whatever that is for you. Um, so what would it be like if you led a fearless existence? For you to be able to embrace the unknown, which is where all limitless possibility lies, is a function of um, being out of control. Wow, what an incredible depth of answer to what I thought was pretty innocent question. <laughs> 
Wow. That is just, it's, it's so much to absorb. It's so much to process, Sally. I'm so grateful for the kind of depth that you offered in that response. Thank you so much. You've given, I think all of us an awful lot to think about. Let me just ask one more question before we dive into uh, sort of our wrap up. And that is about the sustainability of a co-creative state, right? So one of the things that, that I think differentiates you among lots and lots of other coaches is the fact that you really talk about sustainable transformation and also the ability to stay within a co-creative state, being in flow, being in the zone, but all the time. This is not momentary lapses where you may be you know, out on the golf course with your buddies and you say, gosh, I was in the zone or a painter who creates some sort of beautiful work of art and says, yes, it just flowed. How do you, how do you as a leader embrace that state and stay in that state of co-creation? Great, Great question. Uh, a book that I recommend to every single leader and have done for years uh, that I read years ago called Synchronicity in a Path to Leadership. It's a true story about Joseph Jaworski, uh, who set up the American Institute of Being Leadership versus Doing Leadership, and his journey on who am I to change the thinking of Fortune 500 companies and everything he went through in his metamorphosis to actually achieve that. It mentions nothing about spirituality, which uh, in my world, spirituality is about trusting the unknown as much as the known. Like, what could you achieve if you could trust the unknown as much as the known and become fascinated about that? Um, but it's all about spirituality because he had to go beyond his humanness to be able to achieve that. So in the context of sustainability, first of all, um, people are not aware of this thing called the default identity to the extent that um, I educate. So every organization on the planet has human beings in it. What comes with the human territory is this default identity. If we are to entertain that this exists, then somebody in their default and then a collective with the, every single organization must have a default undercurrent within their organization that is undistinguished. Think about something like KPI empowered cultures versus KPI disempowered cultures. 99.9% .9 of every single organization on the planet has a disempowered KPI culture. Pressure to meet the KPI, constant um, uh, non-performance, uh, constant um, um, you know, reprimand for not achieving target, um, you know, it's just endless, all very disempowering and it's tolerated. What is the point of having a KPI in an organization unless you meet it? And what would it be like if you didn't tolerate in an organization anything that wasn't working, <laughs> novel concept? So everything stems from this default identity. And uh, so when I work from a cultural change perspective or when I work with leadership teams, specifically the CEO and their executive, um, we look at individual, their individual default identities, how that then impacts the collective um, default undercurrent in the organization. When they shift by osmosis, everybody else in the organization shifts. So it's a top-down approach. I've done the years of trying to do the bottom-up, but it didn't work. Um, so sustainability uh, in the education that I've developed is this uniqueness about this default blueprint that I talk about. Uh, which is yet to be actualized and experienced by the masses on the planet. I have it that that is my legacy. Legacy is the most profound conversation you can facilitate with a human being on the planet. What are you doing here? What is your DNA calling you to be in the world? What is unique about you? You are not here just to survive. You are here to be able to make a difference for others on the planet. 
Um, and obviously, uh, at that executive level, um, again, it's very rare that each individual executive knows with clarity what their purpose is, what their true north is, what their legacy is, and if they all did, and then collectively, they then championed that within the organisation, you would get exponential growth. So sustainability is directly linked uh, to this default identity, which is a new concept to the degree to which I've explored it because I've lived out of the extremity <laughs> of that identity and believe that I could write a few, a few um, papers in some of those psych uh, magazines um, that would transcend a lot of the thinking because I had a direct experience of that psychosis. Um, and when you think about the concept of all of human suffering as a function of what we make things mean, um, just that statement alone um, has the ability to be able to evolve consciousness to a whole new level. So for sustain the sustainable nuances to be adopted, it, it comes back to uh, changing the education system as we know it, changing the fundamentals of counselling and psychotherapy. And no disrespect to any counsellors or psychiatrists listening, I'm only talking about the dysfunctional aspect because we have a lot of unhealed people trying to heal the unhealed. Um, and that's the only angle that I'm coming from with reference to that. I don't know whether I've answered your question completely. I, I think you more than answered my question. <laughs> Sally, thank you. Gosh, just I feel like we have just taken a master class and um, how you've been able to pack in so much insight, so much wisdom, so much expertise in 30 minutes blows my mind. Um, so we always wrap up in Leadership Global with one final question. And that is about leadership advice. Everyone who listens to Leadership Global tends to be in leadership, either in entertainment, politics, business, some aspect of their lives. And so I'm always curious to find other leaders that would like to pass on the best piece of insight that they have. Um, either someone has granted that to them or they have a lived experience and they wanna pass on a piece of advice to other leaders listening. Well, I knew this question was going to come. So I have 12 top key picks and I'm going to go, Sally Anderson's going to be on speed because I really want to offer value to those listening. Okay, here goes. So um, mastering the inner game, uh, five relinquishment buckets, the five key things that uh, human beings uh, tolerate. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't know how or manifesting illness to abdicate responsibility. Those who are committed will always find the time. Those that are committed will always find the energy. Those that are committed will always find the money. Those that are committed that will always work out the how. And those that are committed will look after their well-being so they do not manifest illness. You're either committed or you're not. So commitment is key with reference to leadership. Number two, think, do, say, be forward the game is what you're thinking. Uh, forwarding the game, if it's not, don't think it, is what you're doing. Forwarding the game, if it's not, don't do it, is what you're saying. Forwarding the game, if it's not, don't say it. And who you're being on a day-to-day -day basis, is that forwarding the game? If it's not, don't be that. Um, how many books do we need to read that say, be careful what you think, your thoughts create your reality? Uh, they do, uh, but we're not vigilant in where our thoughts are focused. Um, slipstream and vortex is a function of you being connected. Um, so if you don't have the number one success strategy of every single leader on the planet is morning practices. Uh, if you do not have mandatory discipline around your morning practices, then it's like, um, you know, driving the car with no petrol in it, meditation, gratitude journal, um, fitness, food, um, you know, pretty stock standard, but most people uh, give that lip service. Uh, as far as language, language creates the reality of your world. If you want the reality of your world to change, change your language. I'm a very dangerous woman to talk to. Language is my vehicle. I'm a coach intuitive. All I do is read language, coach to cause, not symptom. Um, so with reference to on a day-to-day -day basis, if you want the reality of your world to change within a heartbeat, 
become more cognizantly aware of your language and the language of those that you hang out with. Healing. Uh, get your head around healing. Uh, nobody is devoid of healing. Find the right practitioner. Um, I've uh, written an article on uh, healing at the executive level. There needs to be education at that level. I'm a stand for having healing as a prerequisite in every single board, every single executive team on this planet, uh, because there's a lot of little boys, little girls running businesses. Uh, in the context of faith, um, faith is one of the most important things to get your head around because you cannot access the co-creative realm. You cannot un, uh, access unfathomable results. You cannot reach and exceed the potential of why you're here on the planet unless you get your head around whatever your interpretation of faith is for you. And of the many other things that I could say today, you can never have a bad day. Um, from the equanimous realm, uh, meaning is the only thing that is creating the suffering. So equanimous leadership is the ability to be the observer of what is, um, the ability to be able to um, stay centred, uh, connected, devoid of the projections, uh, because you need to stay in your lane as a leader to be able to be the example to others uh, and get fascinated and excited about uncomfortability, resistance and confrontation. It is your best friend as far as you evolving yourself as a leader and also evolving uh, those that you care about within the infrastructure of your organization. <laughs> as I suspected, your last answer was just power packed. It wasn't a trite cliche. It was all thought leadership unique to Sally Anderson. And wow, you just covered about five books in that last answer. I mean, honestly, there's just so much wisdom, so much insight that we could unpack for days in just thinking about leadership advice that you'd like to pass on. So for all of us at Leadership Global, Sally, thank you. And for all of the audience listening in, that was Sally Anderson. She is a leadership coach, facilitator, keynote speaker, author, master coach, trainer. And as you can see, a powerhouse leader, one of the most inspirational and one of the most impactful humans that I've had the pleasure and privilege of coming to know over the past year. And I got to tell you, I, I consider it an honor to call you my friend, Sally. So thank you so much for sharing all of your insight, all of your expertise with the Leadership Global podcast audience. Thank you so much. The God in me acknowledges the God in you, my friend. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.